Just wanna encourage you that we're about to open up God's word. And uh, if you're new to the community here, let me, let me tell you what we believe here. We really believe that we come together not to experience Midtown or me or this sermon. We're here to experience the Lord and that he loves to be with his people when they come together. And so when we listen, we're not just listening intellectually with what I'm saying, but we're also listening with our soul. And this, the spirit is speaking to our spirit. And often the spirit speaks to us by causing us to pause and go, wow, I really needed that. Or maybe even, I'm not sure I believe that. Or we write down our questions. I need to explore that deep. All of those can be signs that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. So as you take notes today, I don't want you just to write down what I say. I also want to encourage you to write down how the Spirit may be leading you and what he has for you here this morning, right? Amen? amen. Wow, y'all really said amen. We never do that here, all right? That was awesome. Maybe we should start doing that more and more. Amen? amen. Oh, wow, that's intoxicating. All right. So we are in Philippians, and we're studying Philippians because this is a book of joy, and my passion is for you to mature into joy. And last week, we talked about the prayer that Paul talked about in uh, chapter one of the pray prayer that he prayed. And what he prayed was he said, I want your love to abound. And what he meant by that is I want your love to grow. Like, I want you to become, become so good at loving that your life is marked by being an expert in love. You're just excellent in it. And the way you're gonna become excellent in living a loving life first is to know that you need to know what love is. And he's talking about the love of God. We love because we are loved, that God is love, and that we have this transformational experience with Christ and his work in our lives. It changes us into these major receivers of love, and he's pouring his love into our hearts. And know that. And so we study scripture from Genesis to Revelation that the whole book is about God's love. He's revealing himself to us from creation to even the fall to the parting of the Red Sea to David and Goliath. All of that is about God's love. Then when you get into the New Testament, Christ's uh, life, his death, his resurrection, the letters that Paul writes, all of this is that we would know about the love of God. Then he says, but I also pray that you not just grow in knowing but that you also grow in depth of insight. And think about that for a minute. What is the difference between knowing something and actually having insight about something? Isn't it that I can know a lot about something, but depth of insight is I have experienced it. Like everybody here can tell me what they know about being a mom, but that's a very different thing from actually being a mom. I was thinking about this this week, and maybe you've seen this movie, Goodwill Hunting, where uh, this brilliant savant of a kid who grew up in this abusive life, uh, he's brilliant in math, but he can read books in like 30 minutes and just retain, retain, retain. And he knows a lot. And there's a bunch of people in his life that are trying to get him to use that to actually do something. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to hijack him to do without first learning how to be. And what Paul is talking about here is that, that we have to learn how to experience this love, not just know about it, before we go and do something. And there's a scene in this movie where Robin Williams, have y'all, has nobody seen this movie? Is there anybody in this room that hasn't seen this movie? Okay, you've all seen it, amen? Yeah, it's so good. And so, uh, 
Robin Williams has got on a bark park bench and he can't seem to get to the kid's heart. He's deflecting, he's protecting, he won't let Robin Williams get there. And there's this scene where he says, so if I ask you about art, you'd probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo, you know a lot about him, life's work, political aspirations, him and the Pope, sexual orientation, and the whole works, right? But I bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You've never actually stood there and looked up at that beautiful ceiling. You've never seen that. Then he says, if I ask you about love, you'd probably quote me a sonnet, but you've never looked at a woman and been totally vulnerable. You've never known someone that could level you with her eyes, feeling like God put an angel on earth just for you who could rescue from the depths of hell. What is he doing there? He's saying to this young Will, if you bypass you on the way to do, then you're gonna ask do to do for you what only being with you can do. Did y'all get that? That's where the Holy Spirit says, this is what I mean. If, if I go to do, then I'm gonna say, do, I want you to make me feel significant. I want you to make me feel loved. I want you to make me feel like I belong. All the things that we all hunger and desire for that can only be found in being, being with the one that loves me. So what Paul is praying for you, he's praying for me, he's praying for the folks at Philippi, is that you would know this love, that you would learn to be with this love, experience it, and then out of experiencing, then you would go and do your life. Okay, but when you do, and this is today's sermon, when you go to do, Paul promises a couple things. One, it's gonna be adventuresome. It's gonna be, when you go do a life of love, it's gonna be so much fun. It's gonna be filled with joy, but it's also gonna be filled with pain. And you need to know that and you need to understand pain so that you will live a good life. That's what he's gonna talk to us today about. So, when I first became a Christian, I didn't know anything about Jesus. I didn't know anything about church. I didn't know you guys have your own language, you know, like brother. Amen? Like that. Like I didn't know any of that stuff, all right? And so here I'm a brand new Christian. I knew how to roll a joint, but I didn't know how to pray, you know? <laughs> and these two guys that had just graduated from college came to me and they, they realized, they recognized me. Oh, you're a newbie. And this is the words they said, we're gonna disciple you. They said that to me. So you need to come to our house at 6 a.m. every Wednesday morning. I'm like, really? Is Jesus awake at 6 a.m.? Here's the problem. They lived in a small town next to our town, which was way on the other side of the river. It was the middle of winter, and the only vehicle I owned was a motorcycle. So every morning, on Wednesday morning at 5.30, I would wake up, and I would get on my motorcycle, and I'd be wearing every stitch of clothing I owned. To cross, cross the river was the worst. If you've never been on a motorcycle crossing a grate on a river in the middle of winter, yeah, anyway. So I show up, and they welcome me with blankets and coffee, and we laugh, and they, you know, we're the frozen chosen, literally, and all that kind of stuff. That was adventuresome, and that was fun. That wasn't painful. I mean, it was painful. Here's what was painful. I lost every friend I had. As soon as I became a Christian, all my friends left me. 
Do you know that first year of following Christ was the loneliest year of my life? I spent my whole, like, I went from being cool to being nothing. Like, I spent a whole year with my little brother who was in sixth grade. Sixth grade. And I became him and all his friends' best friend. I drove them everywhere. That was my, that was my crew. My crew. That was painful. That was so painful. We'll talk about it in a minute, but do you know in the midst of that, God was, was preparing me for a life that all those sixth grade kids came to know Christ. And he was pouring something in me that I didn't understand at the time. So let's hear from Paul and let's think about you guys. So Georgia, would you come and pray for us? Or uh, I mean, read for us. So this is uh, Philippians 1, 12 through 18, and 27 through 30. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Lord, bless the reading of your word, and bless us studying your word. Uh, Thank you that you're here, and thank you that you're working, and that you're intentional, and that you care about us, and I pray that we'd step into that. In Christ's name, amen. So uh, this whole passage starts in verse 12 with him saying, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me actually serves to advance the gospel. So Paul knows the love of God. He's, he's experiencing the love of God like we talked about last week. He's being with Jesus. And out of that, he's going to live his life. And as he went to live his life, things happened to him. Now, let's just think about this for a minute because... Um, life happens. And um, if, if I had time, I could bring up everybody up here over the age of 40 and say, did everything work out the way you planned it? And you hear them laughing already. And because it doesn't, because as you go to do your life, things happen. And Paul is saying, things have happened to me. And what had happened to Paul? Well, it's a great story. You can go read it in Acts chapter 20, 21, 22. 
Paul and his companions were on mission with Jesus and they were preaching through modern day Turkey and Greece and they had all these strategy plans. We're gonna go to Spain. We're gonna bring the gospel to Spain because they got great food there. You wouldn't believe some of the beach resorts they have, you know? And they were gonna go do this whole tour and he was with some of his buddies and this prophet named Agabus came up and took off his belt and bound his hand. You gotta go read, it's a crazy story of prophecy and the Holy Spirit stepping in. And basically the Holy Spirit said, this amazing mission that you're on that you think you're gonna do all this stuff for me Sorry, buddy, I'm about to change all that. So he goes to Jerusalem and he tries to preach the gospel in Jerusalem and crowds just rise up against him. They try to kill him. The Roman uh, guards get involved and they realize a riot's about to break out. So they arrest Paul uh, to save his life and to stop the riots. But then they kept him in prison for years, like without trial, this incredible injustice, slow justice. He's suffering a complete change of his plan. You know, he was planning on retiring in Green Hills. Do you know that? That's Greek for Turkey. But God completely changed his plan. And now he's in prison. And um, it's a crazy story. And he couldn't preach. He couldn't travel. He couldn't plant churches. Everything he wanted to do that he thought God wanted him to do, he wasn't doing and all he was doing was spending his day with prison guards, with writing books, and for the few people that could come and visit him. And what Paul is stopping, he's first saying, what has happened to me? So let me just stop. Let's make this personal. What has happened to you? If you have pen and paper, uh, what comes to your mind? What has happened to you that you're like, that's something I would never have planned for myself? That's something, that's not, that's the thing that I would have never wanted my life to go in that direction. That's something that wasn't on the script. Maybe COVID was not on the script. Maybe you lost friends to COVID. Maybe there have been things outside of your control that have deeply impacted your life. And what is your story? What is your story of what has happened to you that got you here? You didn't get in a certain school, but you got in that school that somebody dumped you and you ended up marrying somebody else or your marriage didn't work out and you went through a divorce or maybe you had kids that you didn't know you had or maybe you had kids that you did know you had or, I mean, what is the story about you, the job that you didn't get or the job that you did get or the bankruptcy that you had to file? I mean, what has happened to you? You got betrayed by a friend, somebody stabbed you in the back. Like, what is your story as you sit here? You all have one. And so let's pause for a moment and go, Paul's not alone. Life happened to him, and life has happened to you. And what Paul is doing is something I want to challenge you to do right now. Paul's remembering. He's saying, what happened to me? He's thinking back. And remembering is a really interesting thing. It's a fascinating thing because uh, we do stuff with memory. So I've been reading The Relational Soul, Moved from False Self to Deep Connection, by Richard Plass and James Cofield. And, and they talk about memory and they talk about how memory has three parts to it. Uh, memory, we remember events, um, but we don't just remember events, we actually remember the emotion that's associated with that event. In fact, uh, some researchers have said the reason, well, let me back up, some researchers have asked the question, why, are, why do you remember some things but you don't remember other things? Because you don't remember everything. 
right? And you don't always remember correctly, right? If you're married, you know that. You remember nothing correctly, all right? Or if you have kids that are older than 15, they'll tell you that's not how it went. Like, but why do you remember certain things? And they would say it's because we, we remember emotions. I was reading Maya Angelou this week, and she was saying that, that people don't remember what I say, and they don't remember what I do, but they remember how I make them feel. That our emotions, the part of us that is us, actually attaches itself to events, and we remember them. But then in the relational soul, they said we do a third thing with emotions. We don't just remember events. We also remember emotions with those events. Then we do something. We interpret. That we step back and we look at the string of our lives and our memories, and then we start to apply interpretations to those things. And those interpretations change our lives. In fact, they impact our lives. In the book, they talk about a woman that came to them for counseling and she grew up in a home where her father was very demanding. In fact, uh, every time he was, she was with him, he would give her jobs to do. There's always a list of stuff to get done. Gotta do, gotta do, gotta do. And she said, all I remember is that I never did jobs well enough. I, I never lived up to my dad's expectation. And as I got into high school, I realized that I started hiding from my dad because I didn't want to be around him because he was emotionally unpredictable. But every time I was around him, he was giving me a new list of stuff to do. And, uh, and I was never good enough. So she's telling this story to Richard Plass and James Cofield. She goes, that's when I learned, and here's the interpretation, that's when I learned men cannot be trusted and they are unpredictable. That may be true, by the way, all right? That's my flaw. I make jokes at very poignant moments, all right? That was a beautifully profound, heartfelt moment. But you see what's happening here is her interpretation of that now is affecting her abounding love. It's affecting her ability to do out of love. Now her doing is looking for love. Now her doing is trying to protect herself from broken love. And so her healing is vitally important. And we have to understand that if Paul is praying and Jesus wants you to become a great lover, that when you do go and love, it's going to be painful. And if I don't understand what I remember and how I interpret what I remember, and if I'm not interpreting correctly, it's going to affect the way I love. Because pain is a part of our story. And pain doesn't have the ability to change what's true, but pain has the ability to change what I believe is true. And so we have to be careful. So let me read just a quick paragraph from this book. They say that true self-living is anchored in the participatory, participatory communion with God and Christ. The true self is open to a different interpretation of the events of our lives, including the very difficult and painful ones. It leads to soulful relationship to the extent our story is bathed and transformed by God's story. What he's talking about there is that we now invite Jesus into our memories and our story. And we're inviting him to come in with a redemptive story that allows him to reinterpret our lives, to give us a richer, more fuller interpretation of the things that we can't see. If you want an example of that, you can go to the end of Genesis. There's this horrific story of this very dysfunctional family where these brothers hate their little brother 
and they, uh, they sell, sell him into slavery. And their little brother Joseph goes on this wild, painful journey of life, but it lands him as the assistant to Pharaoh. And at the end of the story, the brothers are starving in this famine, and they come into Egypt, and lo and behold, they're standing before their little brother, and they don't realize it. Y'all know this story? Joseph's coat of many colors. And, uh, and what does he say to them? At that moment, he had all the authority, all the power to bring retribution and revenge onto the brothers that threw his life into such a torrent of change that life happened to him. But what did he do? He stepped back and he goes, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That's what we're talking about is that if I don't bring into my memories like Paul is bringing into his memories, this Jesus who comes in and has a divine purpose for all my pain. He has a divine purpose for my whole story. And the reason I know that is because there are times where, where I'm not always gonna understand that story, but I understand that I have a Jesus that suffers for me and he steps into my suffering. Because you know that lonely year when I became a Christian, do you know that that was the place that seeds were planted in me to spend the next 20 years in youth ministry? That what Lord was, was forging in that pain was his story and his call on my life. And he was, through that pain, revealing to me him so that I would discover me. That's what Jesus does. He frees us. But what does he free us to? In Romans 8, 28, it says, for we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. That if you're in Christ today, he is working all things, even your past, for the good. Paul says in verse 13 of this passage, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guards and to everyone else that I was in chains for Christ. See, what had happened was Paul was in prison, but he gave him the ability to write this book that we're studying today. But it also meant that every day a prison guard was chained to him. Like, could you imagine being chained to the Apostle Paul for eight hours? You, you think you could hardly stand my sermons. Like, just try that for eight hours, you know? And yet what was happening was there was a revival that was taking place in the prison guards. And then it was bleeding out to the entire city through these guards. In other words, what God was saying to Paul is, stop interpreting your life through your limited understanding of love. Be with me and know that I love you, and then I'm going to change what you see as good. If he's working all things for good, how can prison be good unless we change what is good? So I told you last week I was at a four-year-old soccer game last Saturday, which is not a soccer game, but it's beautiful. And I was again there yesterday, uh, rinse and repeat. It was Groundhog Day, same game, same results. And, but one of the things that I noticed yesterday is that donuts play a very important role in four-year-old soccer. Because if you don't know this, it is very difficult to get a four-year-old to play 30 minutes of a soccer game in a field with boundaries. Like, do you know how many four-leaf clovers there are in that field? How many butterflies fly through that field? Do you know how enticing the whole row of soccer balls on the sidelines are that aren't a part of the game? Do you know? Do you know? And so donuts become an important part of, if you'll just stay in there and play for another 10 minutes, we're going to go get donuts afterwards. And why do they say that? Because to a four-year-old, 
donuts equal good. But if you're 40 and you're sitting here this morning and your definition of good is still donuts, you may have a problem. <laughs> Maturing is actually letting go of our small idea of good and embracing a bigger idea of good, right? Are you tracking with me? And so what Jesus is doing when he steps in and reinterprets our past and steps into our memories and brings healing and brings purpose and he brings power, he also changes how you understand good. And it's hard because you traded donuts for success. Donuts aren't good. Success is good. You traded your donuts for money. Donuts aren't good, but lots of money's good. Lots of good. Or fame. A lot of people know I exist. Or social media. Or try this one. Stand in front of the mirror and see how much you put value on beauty. That beautiful, being beautiful is good or reputation, or experiences, or who likes me, or who doesn't like me. Like, and what Jesus is trying to do when he comes in our lives to teach us to be with him, and to teach us the love that we go do, is he's trying to change our understanding of what is good. Okay, so this is a long passage of scripture. Stay with me. This is important for us to hear, though. This is in Romans chapter five. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, that's good not by our works. We have peace with God. That is good. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, which is good. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We stand by grace. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. He gave it to us. That, that way, nothing can take it away from us. Not even us. That's grace. And I've lost my place. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only, but we also glory in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Boy, that's good. And perseverance produces character. Oh, that's so good. And, and character, hope, that is so good. If we had time this morning, I would teach you why those three things are essential if you're gonna be a professional lover, a pro-lover, somebody who lives a life of love. And he says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. What does hope do? Hope opens my eyes that there's a waterfall of God's love that's falling down into my heart. That's what perseverance, character, and hope does. It puts me back to realize that my whole life is the result of God pouring his love out on me. And then this is what happened before we were out of time. But I gotta tell you, then what happens is my memory. Now, when I look back on my story and I go, you're good, you're good, ah, oh, you're so good. And, and look how you're using the things that have happened to me you're for your glory and you're changing what I understand good to be and you're teaching me to be a great lover. And then we do something which is remarkable. We bring that into right now. The past now becomes a reality that I bring it into me. Look what he says in verse 15. Well, in verse 27. Nope, that's not it. Hang on. <laughs> I'm just trying to go so fast. He says in verse 27, whatever, whatever happens to you, whatever happens to you, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What's the gospel of Christ? He is pouring his love out into your heart through what Christ did on the cross and the power of the resurrection. That's you. 
Now live a life that reflects that in the now. That's what discernment is. That's why he says that you may know love, depth of insight, and that you would have a discernment about where to spend your love and how to love. Because there's a lot on this list that you don't do when you know this. So I was talking to a friend of mine this week. I think this will illustrate it. Some of you know Thad Cockrell. He is a singer-songwriter. Um, he wrote an album, To Be Loved, that we sing a lot of his songs. He's been a part of the Midtown community for years. He's lived in LA, he's lived here. And his New Year's resolution this year was, I'm done with music. That was his New Year's, I'm done. I, I, I need to go find another career. He wrote it down and he said, I, I'm finished. And um, that week, Jimmy Fallon was walking through a hardware store. You know who Jimmy Fallon is, right? Amen? Yeah, okay. He gets an amen. He's walking through a hard, hardware store looking for a light bulb, which, first of all, I don't believe that because doesn't he have a lot of people that do that for him? I just have this imagination that once you get to that point, that's a different good, like just people waiting on you. But he's walking to a hardware store and he hears over the hardware store speaker Thad's uh, new song. He just put out a new album, Swingin'. Um, and it's this great song, you know, go down swinging, you know, don't give up. And he just, just decided to jitter up giving up, you know. And he hears it and he, is it Shazam? Is that the app where you can, and he listens to it and finds out that's who he is. And he goes, we're going to get this guy on the show. And talked about it for a week. He just talked about this is the new anthem of my life. And he would just play the song on his computer and just, I mean, he just, I'm like, you gotta be kidding, man. He's just, he's just really promoting this. So they fly Thad to New York and he's um, at the Rockefeller Center. And the day, he'd had like three COVID tests up to that point, he had COVID before. But the day of the show, they test him and the manager of the show calls him and says, uh, you can't leave your room, you tested positive. Okay. So I said, Dad, what did you do? And he said, you know what I did? I got on my knees. And I thank God for what has happened to me in this moment. I thank God because, God, I know that you are good for me. I don't know how this is good for me, but I know that you're good for me. So I'm going to pause right now. This is not what I planned. This has happened to me, and I'm just going to give you glory. That's bringing the remembrance into the now. Now, if I could tell you the story, it's crazy because they couldn't bring him on the show live. They did it by video, and he played with the roots by a big screen, and it just worked out like you wouldn't believe. And then they said, because you didn't come on the show, we're bringing you back, and God has opened all kinds of doors. And I'm not saying that if you do that, God's going to open up stores, all kinds of doors, and you're going to start your music career. Kevin keeps telling me that'll never happen for me. <laughs> but I remember two years ago sitting in the corner pub over here with Dad, and we were talking about Jesus and his love for the people in his life to know Jesus. And I asked him, why are you not in ministry? And he looked at me with tears in his eyes, and he goes, brother, I am in ministry. Don't you know that? That's the life of those who have been rescued by Jesus. Your life is ministry. 
And what has happened to you, what has happened to you, God is orchestrating for good. So I don't care what's happened to you. You divorced this morning? Is your marriage in the stinker? Do you feel like that you're emotionally out of control? You hate your job? Maybe you don't like being a parent anymore? Maybe you're trying to get pregnant and you can't get pregnant? What has happened to you? Have you suffered the consequences of parents who were addicts? Or maybe this morning you're an addict? Maybe you're just happy this morning. What's happened to you? My prayer is that you would become an amazing lover and that this community would become a community of love. And for us to do that, we need to know, but then we need to be with this Jesus so that when we go, we're not surprised by pain and struggle because he's good so that we live well. So I'm about to pray. Here's what I'd like for you to do. Um, we're going to have a moment of silence in the prayer because this is where we ask Jesus, why are you here today? What does he have for you? Don't miss that. Lord, we pause right now. And what a remarkable story that, that Paul would have so much happen in and yet, where he was was the perfect place for him to be to do exactly what you called him to do. Love. And that's true about us too, Lord. That no matter where my friends are this morning, whether their lives are out of control or, or their lives are suffering the consequence of what other people have done, or maybe their lives are full, they're right exactly where they need to be to experience you, and to go in love. So, Lord, we ask you uh, to speak right now. What, what do you have for us? And would you speak to each person in this room and those that are watching and the ones downstairs um, with all the kids running everywhere in the fellowship hall? Just why did you have me in this this morning? Speak to us. And now, church, out of that place, let's worship the one who calls himself love.